0: Hi, everyone. Benjamin Smith here, pastor of Revealing Truth Ministries, Wesley Chapel. You know, God is always speaking good things to us, and he has a word for you today. We are sure of it. Take some time out to listen, and we'll be back as soon as we're done. God bless you. God, I thank you for each and every person here. We never take it for granted, this opportunity that we have to come and minister together. I pray that you give me your inner wisdom to speak life into each and every person. I also pray that everybody, under the sound of my voice, will get something out of the message today they can use and make their lives better. God, not just years from now or months from now or weeks from now, not even days from now, but they will be able to use this message and make their lives better immediately. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. We're also going to do our Bible confession, which was part of the game yesterday. And uh, people had a lot of jokes about that for people that didn't know exactly what that Bible confession was that we say each and every time we come to church. Yeah, it was brutal. It was brutal. Can't nobody treat you like family sometime, boy. All right, let's go. This is my Bible. I can be what it says I can be. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. Every verse is God-breathed, and I aim to live by every word. It is essential to my faith foundation and works to change me from the inside out into the person God created me to be. That is why I shall never let it go. It is reliable. It is the truth. It is divine. It is the word of God and shall forever be to me my Bible. In Jesus' name, amen. Loved ones, today... We're still on the Taste and See series. I'm going to tell you up front, it's scripturally intensive. And the reason for that is, in my mind, I have a timeline. And that timeline requires you to be in a specific point or a specific place by a particular time. In order to do that, we have to, you know how you can buy regular Tide, but you can also buy some concentrated Tide. So to put half half amount in to get the same job done. This is on the flip side. So we're going to give you a concentrated dose by really putting in a lot of scriptures. But it's all going to tie in, I promise you. And down the road, it will be the best thing we could, have, we could have done. Our core scripture that we've been kind of linked to in this series is this one. It's Psalm 34, verse 8. King James Version, it says this. "O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusts in him. Now, instead of the Lord is good, we've just been taking the word the Lord and making it God. So focusing on those three words, if God were there, God is good. Previously, what I shared with you is that that scripture reference right there can be problematic. Not problematic in that it's incorrect or it's wrong, but problematic depending how, on how one interprets it. When a person looks at that God is good and they interpret it as God is going to orchestrate in their life such that their life well is problem free that interpretation right there is a problem specifically when a person goes down that road what they've what they've essentially done is introduced a I call it a fault in their faith foundation we can call it a flaw we can call it a vulnerability we can call it a weak point but they introduce one and that weak point stems from a particular belief that they've kind of wrapped themselves around. Here's that belief. They have a belief that God is good means God will make my life feel good. That construct comes from them putting together a linkage. The linkage is they link God's goodness to good feelings and when they do that it gives birth to a particular logic and that logic is my life being good is the proof that God is good loved ones that logic is incorrect were that logic true what they would be doing is they would be defining God as a pleaser And God does not exist to please us. Now, when I say he does not exist to please us, I mean in that manner, meaning God's not sitting around wherever God sits and and try to make sure that you always keep a smile on your face, that every moment of your, your life is happy. God's not a pleaser in that fashion. He is a good father. He does know how to please. But pleasing you and pleasing me is not his primary goal. And when somebody begins to have that logic, what they've done is they've introduced a fault. And in introducing that fault, what they try to come up with is, gosh, whether or not God is good based on the way that they feel. But family, God's not a pleaser. And for a person to think otherwise, it introduces a fault or a stumbling block in their faith walk. Consider this. When you read your Bible, fundamentally speaking, God never promises, never promises that life would be rosy. God never promises that. Scripture does not say that every little step you take will be on easy street. Doesn't say that. If for whatever reason in the back of your mind or somebody taught you or you somehow just got it in your own, in, from your own studies that that was the case, that is not the case. Scripture tells you the exact opposite. It is not shy with disclosing, disclosing the fact that not every step in your life will lead you down the path of easy street. As a matter of fact, sometimes you have to take some less appealing routes in life. No, not easy street. Sometimes you might find yourself on one of these. Notice. Life is not always on easy street. There are some other streets you can find yourself on, some other routes you can find yourself on, routes that put little hazardous conditions in your way. For example, you can find yourself on Hard Times Highway. You can find yourself on Bumpy Boulevard or Pothole Pathway. Anybody ever been down Scary Street? And I know we just came past October 31st I ain't talking about that kind of scary I'm not talking about somebody jumping out with a mask on scary I'm talking about my god am I gonna ever get through this kind of scary my god are you ever gonna show up kind of scary my god I'm trying to stand strong but if I was honest even though I'm smiling right now I'm shaking in my boots kind of scary anybody ever been down scary Street what down? I like this one because I'm a country boy. What about downright dirty dirt road? Sometimes people will take you down downright dirty dirt road because they just do you dirty. And let's not forget what the f- highway, freeway. What the. F- now, I'm not saying we should use that kind of language. I don't use that kind of language. I hope you don't. But it's the point that counts. Sometimes you look at stuff and you go, what the? What the? I'm going to tell you as a parent, I've done that. Come home, my children are messed up. So I say, what the? What made you think that this was okay? If you've ever been a manager or owner of a business or over a group of people and you come and, and you see what they've done and you just kind of look at it and they spend a bunch of money and waste a bunch of time, you're like, what the? Who, who said this was okay? But in the same, same sense in life, though, sometimes you could look over the smattering of things that's going on in your life that happen to all be topsy-turvy, and you just put your hands on your waist, and all you can say is, what? The, how can this be happening? How can, and then it's not just this, but this on top of that, combined with that, followed up by that. What the? God never said, Scripture never says, your feet will always be on easy street. Never does that. Ever does that. You can find yourself, and likely will, on a different route in life from time to time. From hard times to bumpiness to scariness to people doing you dirty to just what the heck is going on. And what the Bible does is it telegraphs this. If you really look at it with open eyes, here are just a few examples. Notice in Genesis. I've highlighted some things here, but let's just rattle them off real quick. I will do my best not to expound so we can push through. Genesis chapter 3, verses 16 through 19, easy to read. Just talking about sometimes you can have stuff going on in life. Bible tells you that. Then God said to the woman, this is after Adam and Eve ate this fruit, I will cause you to have what? Much trouble. Now, he puts in there when you're pregnant, but just much trouble is what we're looking for. I will cause you to have much trouble when you're pregnant. And when you give birth to children, you will have much what? Mm, much pain. You will want your husband very much, but he will rule over you. I had to put a little hold up. Wait a minute. Let me put some truth in it right there. Because if you are from a certain type of, I don't know, of uh, belief, and if you are from a particular generation, you can take that at literal value And somehow get in your head what that is telling you is that that is a a instruction or a command for the man to be the ruler. That is not the case. What that is, is God letting you know that there is going to be an introduction of discord. What do I mean by that? Well, before they did this thing that they weren't supposed to do, they they were, I'm dramatizing, they were walking hand in hand, they were skipping in the meadow, they were hugging, cuddling all up. Oh, you look so good. You look good too. They were never having any kind of issue, always had as they walked, birds singing, maybe some kind of little smooth jazz in the background. All that was going on before this point. But now God says, listen. Because of this, where there used to be harmony and goodwill, that's going to get replaced by conflict. So instead of the smooth jazz, you know, in the background and you guys hugged all up, now you're you're fighting with with heavy metal headbanging music going on in the background, you know, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you, I want to scratch you in your face, and cut your neck, and scratch your car, and burn your clothes, I hate you, you make me sick, I can't stand you, you know, that's, that's, that's what's playing in the background now, and it's a bunch of people just, you're just not getting along like you should, That is not, family, that is not a decree for men to dominate, reign over, rule over women. Now, verse 17, then God said to the man, I commanded you not to eat from that tree, but you listened to your wife and ate from it. So I will curse the ground because of you. You will do what? Work hard all your life. That's what we want there. For the food the ground produces, the ground will grow thorns and weeds for you, and you will have to eat plants that grow wild in the fields. You will work hard again. He said, work hard three times. You know the guy had to work hard. You will work hard for your food until your face is covered with sweat. You will work hard not just just a, a year or two, not just a couple weeks. But Adam, you will work hard until the day you die. And then you will and then you will become dust again. I use dust to make you, and when you die, you will become dust again. Next one. God never promised easy street. here we go John 16:33 amplified classic in the voice Jesus is talking and i have told you these things so that in me you may have perfect peace and confidence in the world you have what tribulation and trials and distress and frustration look boom there you go now he does go on to say be of good cheer take courage be confident certain undaunted for how i have overcome the world i have deprived it of power to harm you and have conquered it for you. None of that should give you the the indication that when they throw a punch, they ain't gonna never connect. When life swings at you, it's gonna always miss. Mm. What he's saying is he's conquered it, spiritually speaking. I've conquered it, giving you the final victory. Here we go in the voice. I have told you these things so that you will be whole and at peace. In this world, not just you gonna have trouble times, you will be plagued. All kind of variety of stuff you couldn't even think about. Trouble tr- Plagued with times of trouble. But you need not fear. I have triumphed over this, not just world, not just world order, but corrupt world order. A world that's not sweet. A world that's not kind. A world that's not cuddly. It's, 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 it's no hiddenness here. Next one. Don't get that in your mind you're going to be on easy street. First, second Corinthians chapter six. This one says one through five. We're actually going to go through 10. So there are two separate, separate images. Easy to read. We are workers together with God. So we beg you, don't let the grace that you receive from God be for nothing. God says, I heard you at the right time. I gave you help on the day of salvation. I tell you that the right time is now. The day of salvation is now. We don't want people to find anything wrong with our work. So we do nothing that will be a problem for others. Trying to do everything right. Don't want to get nobody's feathers ruffer, ruffled. But in every way, we show that we are servants of God. We never give up. What are those words? Even though. Okay, here we go. Now, you're trying to be good. don't want to ruffle no people's feathers. You're trying to do things the right way, and you never give up. Even though, here we go, we face troubles, difficulties, and problems of every kind. We are beaten and thrown into prison. People get upset at us and fight against us. We work hard, and sometimes we get no sleep or food. That can just go straight into today's world. Sometimes you feel like you're working harder, but getting farther away from what your goals are. Go to the next one, completion of this. Verses 6 through 10, we show that we are God's servants by our pure lives, by our understanding, by our patience, and by our kindness. We show it by the Holy Spirit, by genuine love, by speaking the truth, by depending on God's power. This right way of living has prepared us to defend ourselves against every kind of attack. Some people honor us, but here we go again. Others shame us. Some people say good things about us, but others say bad things. Anybody ever been there? Some people say we are liars, but we speak the truth. Some people, to some people we are not known, but we are, we are well known. We seem to be dying, but look. We continue to live. We are punished, but we are not killed. We have much sadness, but we are always rejoicing. We are poor, but we are making many people rich in faith. We have nothing, but we really have everything. Listen, we read these things to pick out things like people saying bad things about you, people lying about you, people punishing you it never promises rose petals under your feet. Certainly, God is transparent with his message that life comes with problems. For all of those who golf, I am not one of them. I have clubs. Do not get me on your team, you will lose. But we'll have fun because I'll keep it lively. But in golf lingo, what I'm saying is trouble in life is par for the course. It's just what it is. That being the case, family, if a person links God's goodness to good feelings, what happens to their judgment of God when a situation or circumstance Changes their feelings from up to down, from high to low, from in to out, from right to left, from good to bad, from happy to sad, from hope to hopeless. What happens? Notice this image. What happens when their feelings start to fluctuate, family? What happens when they go from calm to irritated, from content to dissatisfied, from love to lonely? What happens when they go from peaceful to uneasy, when they go from affectionate to hateful, when they go from excited to apathetic, when they go from stable to shaky? Tell me, if they have linked in that false incorrect belief and combined logic that God's goodness is somehow linked up to me having good feelings, what happens to one's judgment of God when their feelings fluctuate? I'm going to tell you what happens. When their feelings shift, their opinion, their judgment, their conclusion of God shifts in the same direction. What do I mean? When they're up, they're up with God. But when they're down, they're down on God. When they're high on God, they're high on God. But when they're low, mm, they're scraping the bottom as far as God's concerned. When they're right, they're good. But you ever heard the term out in left field? They're in left field. And some of us have seen people that way when they're involved in ministry or they're feeling good about life and they're believers, man, they seem like they're the poster child for everything a Christian should be. But time, their feelings get dinged. Time, it, don't work, it doesn't work out their way. they left field somewhere. Left field, then ran back to their old vice, ran back to their own, the thing that they said they were going to drop at a drop of the hat. They went from right to left just that quick. Sometimes they're in, all in with God, but if God tick them off, they out. If God's, quote, unquote, treating them good, they're good with God. If they feel like they're going through bad times, no, God's on the bad list. If they're happy, they're happy. If they're sad, they're not too happy with God. If they're hopeful, they're great. Things are working out in their their favor, so to speak. But let it shift. They lose all hope. They can be calm, but let them feelings get ruffled. They get irritated on the quick and irritated with God. Let me be clear. I'm talking about how they feel about God, about how good he is, or in some cases, how good he's not. If they're content, good, but if they're dissatisfied with God, mm, they don't want nothing to do with God. They feel love, great. If they've lonely, God, you've forsaken me. They're going to have peace, but let something happen. They can get uneasy. Ooh, if things are good, they would shout in a minute how much they love God. But if things get shaky... Don't you talk to me about God. What they're saying is they don't, they, they don't give a hoot about God. Now, real close attention to this, to this next to last one. Excited to apathetic. When a person is, is high on God, they're excited. They will, they will go to, just Just talking about church stuff now, they'll go to every conference. They'll, they'll join different teams. They'll, they'll sew into the project. When they're excited, they're excited, but let something turn. Apathetic means you don't even have a care for it. You don't just, I could care less what they're doing over there. I could care less what 1 Corinthians chapter whatever say. I could care less. They get apathetic. If their life is going good in their opinion, they're stable. But there is a, I believe it's a proverb in the Message Bible. I'll, I'll get it for you before we leave. But it basically says, if you fall apart in a crisis, there wasn't much to you to begin with. Find that for me in the Message Bible. It's, it's like Proverbs. Twenty seven ish, twenty seven, twelve, 12 something, something, something like that. Throw that up. It just it, we get just throw it up there. It says, "Listen, twenty four Thank you. If you fall apart during a crisis, there wasn't nothing much to you in the first place. And so, the whole point of that last one is when their stability comes from a conclusion based on how they're feeling, there you go, if you fall to pieces in a... <laughs> I know she got me, but let me go ahead and finish the other thought. When you find somebody that's stable because of their feelings being good, then when their feelings turn bad, if, if all of a sudden their faith foundation crumbles... They fit into, in my opinion, the category that this Proverbs 24.10 is talking about. It says, if you fall to pieces in a crisis, there wasn't much to you in the first place. And, And so, family, I ask you, when a person links God's goodness to good feelings, what happens when their feelings begin to shift, let me tell you what happens. When their feelings begin to shift, their judgment of God shifts. In other words, as far as they're concerned or their outcome, their outlook, God's goodness shifts with the wind. Or to be more specific, God's goodness shifts with the winds of feeling. But family, that is not an accurate depiction of God. God said this to Malachi. Notice. And Malachi is one you've heard before. Is going to say, I am the, here we go. I am the Lord, and what, I don't what? Change. I don't change. Now, the whole thing that you've been used to reading is, I am the Lord God. It's easy to read. I am the Lord God, and I don't change. You are Jacob's children, and you have not been completely destroyed. Now, in the King James, it says, I am the Lord God. I change not. Therefore, so you sons of Jacob are not consumed. Something like that. God says, I don't change. What we are conveying and what we are clear that the scripture tells you is God's goodness does not change with our feelings. It don't change. God is good, period. He's just good. And for us... To get ourselves out of that trap of ever thinking that way, what we need to do is you and I need to have a good basic understanding of what the word good means in that phrase, God is good. When you see the word good and you see God is good, what that should birth in your mind and your spirit and your heart is that it says God is the standard. More specifically, God is the standard for all that is good. Say that with me. Say, God is the standard standard for all all that that is good. Now, notice this, loved ones. Next image. When we talk about God is the standard, This is just a sample of the things that God sets the standard for. Lord, once God is the standard for compassion, for being consistent, for kindness, for grace, for judgment, for mercy, for righteousness, for patience, for truth, for being faithful and for love. God is the standard for all of these things. Now, let me explain to you quickly what we're going to do. I am going to read for you, show and read certain Bible verses. And what I have attempted to do is in the verse, when it touches on one of those attributes, we're going to highlight that attribute. So instead of attempting to find one for each attribute, we found enough that we could do a smattering. There may be things that you see in those verses that, oh, that could also be judgment. and You may be right. It's just the sampling. But once again, a quick run through. Let's go. First one. Hitting on compassion, kindness, grace, mercy, patience, and love. Psalm 145, verse 8, Amplified Classic. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger, and abounding in mercy and loving kindness. That's your Bible. Next one. Malachi, we've read it. It says, I don't change. Talking about God is being consistent. What about Hebrews 13, 8 in the voice? Jesus, the anointed one, is what is he? Always Always the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. Now, the what I have there at the bottom is simply to make the link because Hebrews 13 and 8 says Jesus is the same. But careful, John 10, verse 30, amplified classic. Jesus says, I and the Father are one. So Jesus is always the same, God's always the same. What about John 10, verses 37 through 38, also amplified classic? Jesus says, If I am doing If I am not doing the works, performing the deeds of my father, then do not believe me. Do not adhere to me and trust me and rely on me. But if I do them, even though you don't believe me, have faith in me. At least believe or or have not believe me or have faith in me. At least believe the works and have faith in what I do in order that you may know and understand clearly that what is that? The Father is in me, and I am in the Father, one with him. Go to the next one. God is consistent. He's the standard. What about judgment and righteousness? Philippians chapter 3, verse 9, Amplified Classic. And that I may actually be found and known as in him, not having any self-achieved righteousness that can be called my own based on my obedience to the law's demands, ritualistic uprightness, and supposed right standing with God, thus acquired. But possessing that genuine righteousness, God's righteousness, the genuine righteousness, which comes through faith in Christ, the anointed one, the truly right standing with God, which comes from God by saving faith. Zephaniah, we don't get there often. Zephaniah chapter three, verse five, easy to read. It's going to lay on God's judgment here. But the Lord is still in that city, and he continues to be good, even though they tripping. He does not do anything wrong, okay, righteousness and good judgment. He continues to help his people. Morning after morning, he makes good decisions for them. Not a day passes without his justice. He never gives a decision that is crooked or is something to be ashamed of. Next one, Second Peter, touching on mercy and patience here. Chapter 3, verse 9, voice. Now the Lord is not slow about enacting his promise. Slow is how some people want to characterize it. No, he is not slow, but patient and merciful to you. Not wanting anyone to be destroyed, but wanting everyone to turn away from following his own path And turn towards God's. Next one. That's mercy and patience. Also, some judgment sprinkled in there. Truth. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18, easy to read. These two things cannot change. God cannot lie. When he says something, he cannot lie when he makes an oath. So, these two things are great help to us who have come to God for safety. They encourage us to hold on to the hope that is ours. John 17, 17, Amplified Classic. classic. Sanctify them, purify, consecrate, separate them for yourself, make them holy by the, by the truth. Your word is truth. Next one. Mercy, faithful, and love. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 9, Amplified Classic. Know, recognize, and understand, therefore, that the Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love and mercy with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, Amplified Classic. God is faithful, reliable, trustworthy, And therefore, ever true to his promise and he can be depended on by him, you were called into companionship and participation with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Next one. Truth and faithful. Psalm 89 verses 30 to 35, the voice. If his children turn away from me and forsake my law if they refuse to walk according to my judgments, if they disobey my instructions and ignore my commandments, then I will use the rod to punish their sins with and stripes to deal with their iniquity. And yet, mm, I'm going to spank you, I'm going to punish you, and yet, my unfailing love of him will remain steadfast and strong. I will not be unfaithful to my promise. I will not violate my covenant. Nor will I alter even one word of my lips that my lips have spoke of words of what my lips have spoken. These words I have pledged in my holiness once and for all, and I will not lie to David. Next one. Grace, mercy, and love. We're getting to the end here. Here we go. Romans chapter five, verses five through eight. Amplify Classic. Such hope never disappoints or deludes or shames us. For God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us while we were yet in weakness, powerless to help ourselves at the fitting time Christ died in behalf of the ungodly. Now, this is an extraordinary thing. For one to give his life, even for an upright man, though perhaps for a noble and lovable and generous benefactor, someone might even dare to die. But God shows and clearly proves his own love for us by the fact that while we were still sinners, Christ the Messiah, the anointed one, died for us. That's grace, mercy, and love. Here we go. The last one, family. And we're going to linger here, not linger, but just going to end it with with love. Romans chapter 8, verses 37 through 39, Amplified Classic. You've heard Paul say these words many times. Yet amid, amid all things we are more than conquerors and gain a surprising victory through him who loved us. For I am persuaded, Paul says, beyond doubt am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor things impending and threatening, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, there ain't nothing that God's gonna be able to look at and say that's gonna separate me from my love from you. Family, all of these things our attributes, and we can put in more. For example, holiness. God is the standard for holiness. His perfection, his being blameless, his his blameless, his moral purity. He being without sin. God is pure light. There is no darkness in him. We could add more, but the bottom line, family, is these are God's attributes, not things that change with the wind. It is how he is. It's what makes him up. Family, so God does not change with our feelings. He is the standard for all that is good. That being the case, there is something we need to stop. If you're doing it, quit it. Notice, we need to stop or we must stop using undesirable moments as a platform to disavow that God is good. Whenever something bad happens in life, you cannot make that a platform to say, see there, I told you God's not good. God's not based on your feelings. God is not here to keep a smile on your face. God is not a pleaser. We must stop using that as a platform. And the only way you end up using that as a platform is if somehow you've convinced yourself to link God's goodness with good feelings. God is good, period. And he's the standard for all that is good. Guess what? Even David, the one that actually scripted up, oh, taste and see that God is good. Even David know and acknowledges that no matter what's going on in life, God is good. You see, when we get in our Bible, well, when we come to church or if we get in our Bible and we start reading and we come across that oh, taste and see that God is good, we take that thing, we make a pin out of it, we run out, we start shaking. But you know what? Verse 8 is, hey, listen, verse 8. There are other things that were said above it and other things that were said below it. And David, the one that wrote, taste and see that the Lord is good, Before he even did that in what we call Psalm 34, when he stepped off into that thing, the first thing he said is, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praises shall continually be in my mouth. Notice, before we get to verse 8, when we first cracked the psalm, David says, King James Version, Psalm 34, verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Now, focus on that right there. Because when David wrote that thing, he wrote that in reflecting, remembering, conjuring back, whatever you want to say, in the times where he was running for his life away from King Saul running for his life, literally. And yet, he begins the psalm with, I will bless the Lord at all times. This is the one that told us, oh, taste and see, in verse 8. But he begins with this. Y'all, David? David? To begin with this, you have to understand that David didn't walk down Easy Street. Yet he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. David found himself on some of that hard times highway and the pothole pathway. Oh, yes, he did. In an attempt to narrate instead of read, let's take you through David's life. I believe this will do a good job. Notice. This is what I'm calling David's rough road. And what it is, it just takes us through a portion of David's life from the time Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 16 God said, hey, I'm going to point out somebody that's got my, my, my own heart, a man after my own heart, and he sends him to Jesse's clan, and Samuel's going to pick him and say, hey, you right there, you're the one that's, that God wants me to anoint. But let's look at this because it's, it, it shows a rise and fall. I narrate it for you this way. At one point, David was out there just shepherding flock, just being David, slingshot probably shooting at squirrels and birds or whatever he had. He wasn't always doing what he's supposed to do. He's probably do cutting up. But at some point in time in 1 Samuel 16, boom. He gets anointed. Same said, you're gonna be the one. Then David's life took an upward trajectory. It happened rather rapidly. He gets taken to King Saul's home and now he's in the home of the king. That's a good spot to be. The Bible says that Saul loved him dearly. I would say he loved him like a son. He's on the come up. He becomes Saul's armor bearer. Good spot to be. Man's got to trust you if he wants you to be his armor bearer. The Bible says that sometimes Saul was vexed by evil spirits. And David would play a harp. And when David played his harp, guess what? The spirits would, get a, would just flee. My goodness, this boy's doing well. All of a sudden, ah, oh, his big moment. He slays Goliath. At that moment, he becomes the golden boy. Saul's happy with him because he killed Goliath. He got himself a new boo. Saul said, "You can marry my daughter." And listen, this, he married in the money. Okay, he's not doing bad. He married the king's daughter. Crowds of people are singing his praises. David, great. David's great. <sighs> then suddenly, say suddenly. Life can change on you suddenly, loved ones. Always keep your keep, they say, keep your head on a swivel. Because the very people or person that's praising your name could be the very person that comes up with the decision. If those people aren't from God and operating as God told them, they they mess around. The ones that would rub you on your back might be sticking something in your back if you ain't careful. But here we go. He came up smooth, but now here comes Golden Boy's rapid downfall situationally speaking, I'm saying. All those people singing his praises, Saul gets jealous and feels threatened. You know, he's now the the incumbent king at the moment. He starts to think, you know what? This boy is pretty popular. He going to take over my kingdom. So he starts this little, hey, let's kill David campaign. This boy got to go. And he sets his sights on killing David. David went from his daddy's sheep, uh, shepherding, whatever the livestock his daddy had, to a quick rise, quick golden boy, to a tragic fall to now being public enemy number one. All of that happened. Yet and still, this man says in Psalm, very first verse first, I will bless the Lord at all times. This David is saying, I see what happened in my life, at least up to the point where he wrote that Psalm, whenever it was. And I still say, I'm going to bless the Lord at all times. Notice this once more, that same verse. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Look at the voice of that, though. The voice version of the Bible says this. I will praise the eternal in every moment. Hold that thought. Through every situation, whenever I speak, my words will always praise him. Those two items there in every moment and through every situation. We often say that we will be down with God in every situation, but that every moment brings in circumstances. Loved ones, we've mentioned this before. There is a big difference between situations and circumstances, but people lump them in, but they're different. Situation is the state. Circumstances is the resulting effects. Let me give you an example. If, 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 if this take me, if for some reason I were to lose my source of income, that is my state. We, we can say I've now lost my job. That is the state. But there are circumstances that can result from that. Can can lose my car, can lose my house. My kids can't do stuff no more. I can't take Greta the way she want to go no more. We got to cut back. No more steak and and, and, and lobster and salmon. I'm back in my beanie weenie bag. You know, all the circumstances are different. What David is saying here is I'm not going to trust in God and believe in God and say I love God and praise God just based on my circumstances. But in anything that happens in my life, be it a situation, a big thing, or the individual instances that happen within that situation, I'm going to praise God no matter what's going on. I'm going to praise God in every situation, and I'm going to praise God in every circumstance. You see, because you can praise God when you lose your job, but when you car it repoed, you can cuss that joker out. It's about the circumstances that really show where you're at with God. Yes. Are you really going to have me believe that you can sit there and say, well, you know, my God my God is bigger than a job. He can find me a job. But then everything that happens to you between the time you lost your job and between the time you get your next job that you're just talking bad about God. You're not, you're not doing the things of God that God used to do. You know what you're doing? you fronting. That's what you're doing because if you down with God when you got a job, you should be down with God when you get your next job. You should be down with God, period, in every situation, in every circumstance, because you know what? You can have a job and still have things go wrong. So it can't be rooted in how you feel about a thing. It has to be rooted in the fact that you know that God is good, period. Family, this man says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praises shall continually be in my mouth. And then he makes it down to verse 8 where he says, oh, taste and see. He's not saying taste and see because I haven't tasted any sourness or any bitterness in life. (coughs) This man is talking from experience. And just like Paul in Romans, when Paul says, I am persuaded. When David gets to say, oh, taste and see, that man is persuaded of something concerning God. What is he persuaded of? Notice. Family, David is persuaded or he is convinced or he has a contention. He's standing on this. His persuasion is in the midst of any situation or circumstance, especially ones that tax your emotions or test your faith, God is still good. When he say, oh, taste and see, the Lord is good, he's saying the Lord is good no matter how you feel, no matter what's going on, no matter what you're thinking, no matter what people are telling you, no matter what you're perceiving, God is still good. And blessed is the man that knows this. For us, we've expanded that. And so we know we could say this contention this way. In the midst of any situation or circumstance, especially ones that tax your emotions or test your faith, God is still the standard for all that is good. Family, God is the standard. And keeping that in mind will keep you out of the trap of linking his goodness with your circumstances or your feelings or how things are now. Mm. I love you so much. That's all I have for you. Let's pray. God, I thank you that whenever we get the opportunity to come together together, that you are faithful in giving us what we need to hear to make our lives better. God, you you are truly the standard for all that is good. We pray that if by chance we have allowed ourselves to be caught up in the belief or logic that says, if I don't feel good, if I don't think my life is going good, that that somehow means, God, you're not good. We are clear that that's not the case. We love you, Father. We thank you for all that you have done for us and what you will continue to do. I also pray that those who, yeah, God, can take the time to reflect. Sometimes, God, when we reflect back, we can see how good you've been, even though we weren't able to, we, we weren't able to see it at the time the roads you kept us off of, the people you helped us avoid, the opportunities you you, you helped us not take. We thank you for your loving kindness. And as David said, your praises, God, will continually be in our mouth. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, that's what God had to say to us today. We pray that it blessed you. As always, we pray that the word of God blesses you, not just years from now or months from now or weeks from now, not even days from now, but we pray that you got something out of the message today that would change your life immediately. God bless you and look forward to chatting with you next time.